Well, thank you so much, Alicia and worship team, and thank you for singing and being a part of this service this morning. You've been an encouragement to me already. Uh, Many of you know that I grew up in the Caribbean. My parents were missionaries in Grenada and Barbados, which is a struggle in and of itself, and I've tried to get over that, okay? But in my upbringing, uh, as some of you know, that my upbringing has been very, I would call it traditional and conservative, okay? That won't surprise some of you who know me. And what that means, generally, is that there is a strong emphasis on teaching things that are true. And, and my churched experience, I'm a very, I would call a very churched person, meaning I have a lot of church history. I attended church as a kid, a little on up. That's just part of the way I was raised, okay? So I have a lot of church history, and a lot of that church experience has leaned into um, an emphasis on teaching the truth of God well and and really getting driving far down into the scriptures. That's kind of been where I've um, been raised. So in my own experience, then I went on to go to Bible college and then went on to seminary and then seminary again because I guess it didn't work the first time. And that's been the trajectory of my life is also to kind of follow some of that and find value in teaching things that I think are true and helpful from the Word of God. So kind of the reason I'm standing off center over here isn't because because I'm off-center, that might be, you can decide that, but because I want you to know that is this world over here. Now, in this world of teaching as a primary spiritual experience, I, I learn that there are some people on the other side, okay? Um, I should almost do it differently for you, because I'm oriented the wrong way. So, on the, on the teaching side over here, which is the right, there are people on the left. The people on the left are the people over here now who um, are um, more liberal than me. Can you believe that there are people like that? People on the left? The people on the left would tend to see a Christian experience as more like socially oriented, like let's do things that are good for people and care about their social and cultural needs. Like that should be what Christians do. And I heard, so pardon my introduction on the wrong side of the stage, I heard over here in my solid Bible teaching background that all we need to do for people is give them Jesus. Like just teach them about Jesus, teach them the scriptures, and we're going to be good to go. Now, teaching alone works if you ever had a kid, you ever been a kid, and your parent told you one thing one time and you did it. That's when teaching works. Like it, it doesn't work alone. It doesn't work as a standalone event. And so somewhere along the line, I realized, listen, teaching is great, and the content is good, and depth is important, but I also am seeing people on the other side, kind of on the left, people left-leaning would say, you know what, I don't care what you teach. You really kind of have to get after the cares and concerns of people. If they don't feel loved, if they don't care, feel cared for, we have a real problem. And somewhere along the line, you begin to realize... Is there not a space where people can do both? Like, do you have to be someone who is over here and socially and culturally oriented and and on track, but by default give up the deep truths and the helpful teaching of the scriptures? Like, are they like just so separate from each other? And this is what I think. This space in between is the space that I think Jesus has actually occupied. That in this series, Friend of Sinners, in which we're landing on and finishing today, there has been, as there is in every series, kind of a deep abiding why that goes between the series messages. Like, why are we doing this? What is the point? And the point is, we believe, I believe that in Luke 4 and 5, where we have been for now eight weeks, there is this rhythm, there is this fabric woven in Jesus' life that brings together incredible teaching and a value on teaching with an incredible emphasis on the social and cultural good of people. That he's figured out a way to weave together two interest groups essentially into his own life. 
in Luke 4 and 5 especially, but I think in his entire ministry. And so when he comes in Luke 4 and we see Jesus coming into the synagogue and teaching from the Old Testament, he says to the people, and we covered this now eight weeks ago, he says, I've come to declare the year of Jubilee. I've come to, to bring freedom for the oppressed, to set free the prisoner, to, to help those in poverty. This is what I've come to do. And then people get really angry at him, want to throw him off a cliff. And then he goes off and he heals Simon's mother-in-law's headache. Isn't that strange? He touches the headache. He, the Son of God has come to, to heal a headache? Like, isn't there a more important thing to do than heal mom-in-law's headache? Well, I guess not. I'm going to heal the headache. And then he heals a, a leper. And then he, a, a paralytic. And there are times we see in Jesus' ministry, right after he heals the headache of the mother-in-law, where people, all kinds of people come to him. And he's like the, he's like the uh, I don't know, like fountain of youth guy. Like all people realize, whoa, the headache was healed. And, and dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of people come to him in that day to be healed. And he heals them, what we think is almost all night. And then he says, with people still around him, he says, you know what? I have come also that I might preach the good news in other places as well. So I'm sorry, all of y'all who wanted an autograph here, or wanted me to touch you and heal you. I can't do that. Only because I haven't just come to heal. I've also come to preach the good news. And so he leaves people and goes to preach and teach in other places. And there is this rhythm of wrapping together, preaching and teaching and communicating with this touching and connecting socially and culturally with people. Just the way that Jesus has wrapped it up together. Just the way that is. And this is where we left Jesus last week. When Chuck was up here talking about the final like, segment of our series this morning in, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus was left in the middle of a social and cultural environment trying to teach something that was very helpful for people. And if you remember last week, as Chuck walked us into this, where Jesus has been left, and we left him, we left him at a table. There was a, a tax collector named Levi, or Matthew, a tax collector who ended up inviting Jesus to his uh, place. He invited all the other tax collectors to his home, and Jesus shows up, and in the crowd are Pharisees. If you remember the way Chuck described it last week, this is actually a a regular um, format for having discussion and conversation in this time period called the symposium, kind of like what we call as a brown bag lunch today, where you invite someone in to speak or to share for a little bit, and then you can ask questions to them. This, in a way, is like an ancient brown bag lunch. The host invites Jesus, the token smart guy in the room, and all the other people get to ask questions of him. And so Jesus is highlighted in this moment. And last week, basically they asked Jesus, why are your disciples, you know, with John's disciples, and like, why are they you know, doing this kind of thing with people who are, who are outside of faith? You know, what, what's going on with, with their connections? And Jesus basically said to them, listen, the Son of Man didn't come to... Uh, you know, heal those who were uh, healthy, but those who were sick. Like, sick need the doctor and not the, the healthy, right? And so this is what we need. Then they asked another question. And this morning, I want to wrap this series and finish, because Jesus, as the smart guy in the room in this symposium, answers one more question this group has. And then, because they're still confused, he shares a story with them. And the story is a very, very powerful way to wrap up the entire series and to wrap up his evening. And it leaves more questions than answers for those who are in the room at that table and at that invitation. So, if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the Gospel of Luke, 
chapter 5. We're going to be dropping into chapter 5, verse 33 to 39. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible near you, in the pew around you, and that's our gift to you, by the way. Be glad to have you uh, take that Bible home with you. But Luke is the third um, book in the New Testament, kind of in the right third of your Bible, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. And he's writing uh, to help us understand what's going on for, uh, for Jesus in this time. All right, So Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 33, jumping into the middle of this feast again where um, Jesus is the token, um, lack of a better term, smart guy in the room, the one who is the the invited guest of honor who the people in the room will look to for help and clarity. They're going to look to him for answers, and they have a chance to ask questions. So verse 33, they said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Now, pause it there for a minute. We don't know who the they is, but I think it's probably some of the, the tax collectors. I don't think this is the Pharisees. The Pharisees asked the last question. This one, I think, is just the people in the room, like the general symposium of the people in the room is what I think is happening here. So the general people ask the question. It's a good question. Look at the question again, verse 33. John's disciples often fast and pray, and so are the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Don't even have a question, really, just a statement. So what do you do with that, Jesus? So here's what we knew. The Pharisees would fast twice a week. That was a normal rhythm of their life. They would just do that. They were known for that kind of behavior. Jesus joins in with the critical spirit of the people, of the, the um, religious leaders of the time, and he says, if you are not going to be fast, if you're going to not join social justice, basically, mercy and grace with your fasting, this is a waste of time. You're like a whitewashed tomb. Like, this is silliness to practice the the disciplines of religiousness without the heart of it. It's just silly. Jesus' voice joins in that whole thing. So Jesus is consistent with that. And here's what he knows. Here's what he is essentially communicating with the Pharisees. When the Pharisees fast, and they fast twice a week, their fasting has a particular point and purpose in mind. And that is this, that fasting for the Pharisees is about boundary making. Fasting for the Pharisees is about saying, I do this and you don't. Just to clarify, in case you want to know if you were spiritual or not, this is what I do, na-na-na-na-boo-boo, you don't. I'm religious and you are not. And I want you all to see it. I want you to know that. Jesus criticizes this later, that the Pharisees will pray out loud and in very obvious ways so that people will see their spirituality. Most people are used to this at this time. like They are used to the Pharisees doing this, which is why they make the statement, like, we have seen this before, Jesus. John's disciples do this. The Pharisees do that. But yours don't. What's up? You must not be legit, because all religious people that we know like to separate themselves from the non-religious people. All religious people that we know like to show how awesome they are compared to the rest of us. So what's going on? Jesus says this in verse 34. Can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and in those days they will fast. In other words, 
Good question, good statement, good observation. You're right. My guys don't fast. You know why? Because fasting is about holding out hope for something that will come later. And I have come now. So why should they fast? Why should they fast? Why should they do that? That's a good question. <laughs> why in the world? Why in the world would this happen? Okay? All right? Why in the world not would that happen? <laughs> why in the world would this happen? Why in the world? It's kind of, isn't that the world we live in, though? Can we just pause and have that moment? Like, isn't that the world we live in? I think we've all been there. Okay? That's the world we live in. But here, here's what's happening here, essentially. <laughs> this is kind of fun now. <laughs> We're pulling for you. We're pulling for you. <laughs> so listen, here's what's going on. The, the Pharisees... <laughs> it's not personal, Leon. It really isn't. I'm so sorry. Oh, I need to have a moment for Leon a little bit later. Give the, give the man a, a hug on your way out when you see him. But here's what's happening in that moment, okay? Not that moment, but this one. The, 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 Jesus is saying the things that these people were fasting about, okay, the things that they were like hoping for have come to reality. They are here now. And I don't know why they would fast, you know, because there's no reason for that, because I'm here. So think about it this way. People don't often get invited to a fast, right? But they get invited to a feast, right? Like no one invites someone to a fast. And so the Pharisees were not inviting people to their religion. I want you to understand that. Listen to that again. No one gets invited to a fast, but they do get invited to a feast. The Pharisees were not inviting people to know God through them. They were rather saying, listen, we are separate from you. Like that's just who we are, okay? This is the difference between them. So Jesus realizes this is happening, and he sees the people in this room are comparing me and my disciples to the Pharisees and their disciples. Like, I'm being compared to what is known. It just makes sense. And so he decides, he's saying, listen, they don't get it yet, so I need to tell them a story. And so he tells them a parable. And check out the parable that he tells them. Look at verse 36 of your text. He told them this parable. Because he realizes they're not getting it yet. He says, No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. And if he does, it will, he will have torn the new garment. And the patch from the new will not match the old. Verse 37. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. So stop there for a minute and think about this. So you're in the room, and you're nodding along. Like, this makes sense, right? Like, isn't, isn't the new better, right? Like, sure, new is better. Okay, so Jesus is, I know he talks in parables, can be kind of confusing. So no one tears a patch from a new garment, sews it on an old one, okay? Because the new is good, and the old one is probably all ratty and stuff. And why would you ruin something that's new and put on something that's old, right? I mean, that doesn't make sense. So you're nodding along, like, it makes sense. And then the patch from the new won't match the old, and yeah, that's true. And no one takes new wine into old wineskins, if he does. New wine will burst the skins, and the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined, okay? So new wine will support new wineskins, okay? So old wineskins are bad. So probably what Jesus is saying, like, just makes sense, like, 
Jesus is like the new way of doing things. And the old way was to fast and all that and wait for the Messiah. But Jesus' new way, and he's going to probably institute a new covenant and you know, new commandment I give to you, love one another and all that. So Jesus is a new way, which is good, but he's replacing the old, which is bad, right? Like his new is always better, right? I mean, new phone is better, new car is better, new house is better, new set of clothes is better. Like new is just is better, right? So people are nodding along. I would bet in the symposium in that moment, saying, news better, news better. Makes sense. Okay, I'm tracking with you, I'm tracking with you. And then Jesus says, verse, what's in verse 39? And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new. For he says, the old is better. And then the story's over. To which you're like, wait a minute. I don't know what else happened in the symposium that night. I don't know what else happened in that home that night. But I can imagine people leaving and walking away with this parable in their mind. And thinking, I was tracking with Jesus. And then he said, no one who drinks the old wine wants the new. Because the old is better. Wait a minute, I thought, I thought the Pharisees were old. Like I thought that was old, and the new is Jesus, the old is the Pharisees, and the new is always better, right? New covenant, new commandment, new, you know, rip apart a new piece of clothing to patch the old. But then he says, wait a minute, when you drink old wine, like you just don't want new stuff. That's actually true. Like that's just what we call axiomatically true. That's not a matter of opinion, really. If I have wine and they're the same type of wine and one is much more aged than the other everybody knows the old actually is better it's better jesus saying that the pharisees way of doing things is i'm so confused and walking home this is what i think jesus created is this moment of like what did he just say we need to keep talking about this figuring this out and here's what i think jesus is saying that he actually is the old. That he's not actually coming to institute a new way to God, but that he is the fulfillment of all that God intended from the beginning of time. And that indeed, the old is better. And this is why I think when Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, he says something like, I haven't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. So that all of what God intended from the beginning of time is fulfilled through me. I am the old wine filling the old wine skins. I am the old wine filling the old clothing. Like I'm the old. You don't take the new stuff and put it on the old because it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. And what I think Jesus is saying is there are new ways that people will always want to draw you into know God. There are going to be religious ways that people will say, come, let's be religious separate from that world out there. There are Pharisees among us. And I admitted, if not to you personally, at least corporately here, that I would likely have been in the Pharisee category had I lived at this time. Pharisees were the common party of the day, people wanting to turn people's hearts toward God. So I don't point a finger too harshly at the Pharisees. But what Jesus is saying is, listen, people have added old pat- new patches 
to this old garment. People have poured new wine into the old wineskins. They have added to the law. They have added new ideas. They have pieced together new ways that you should come to know the Creator God. And Jesus, I believe, is saying, listen, here's what's axiomatically true. When you taste the old wine, no one wants the new. Which is why when we read the Old Testament, we read not only that God created the world, but that he created the world, and then he also gave the people that he created guidelines, help for creating government, for creating culture, for dietary laws, what to eat, how to function with one another, how to deal with justice issues. Not just so they could be saved, but so that they could be people who experience a full life, who weave together the fullness of teach well and live well. Be spiritually concerned and socially and culturally concerned. That the reason Jesus came the way he did and touched the leper, touched the headache, healed the paralytic, taught well, is because this is the way that God has always designed the world to work that we can know well and be taught well and be challenged well, but that we can love well and care well and touch and heal well, that the interest in the social, the spiritual, and the cultural good have always woven together throughout all time to bring people to a fullness of life that otherwise they cannot experience. And isn't this what we do with our own families and our own children, right? Like when our children are sick, we don't just teach them here's where the Advil is and here's what you do with that, or here's the phone number for the doctor, call it and hope you get a ride. We teach them what to do, wash your hands, right? Like drink liquids, uh, rest where you can, stop eating all the junk food. Like we teach them the right things, but then we also lay the washcloth along their head. Like we'll bring the barf bucket out to them, right? Like we'll put the blanket on them and care for them and touch them in the middle of it. It is this combination of life of let me teach you the right way to live and come alongside of you and help you socially and culturally and spiritually. Like, let's do all of that. And can you imagine what it would look like for a church to do all of that in a community? Can you imagine what it would be like for a church to figure out we want to take the deep truths of God's Word that have been around forever and teach them well so that our children can grow and our next generation can grow and our middle age and older adults can grow in their faith and pass on and also be a church that touches the paralytic, that, that heals the headache, that is involved in the care of the social, the spiritual, and the cultural good, that is, in essence, a transforming presence in the town square that does and lives out their faith in the way that Jesus did because the old is better. This is the way that it has always been done. And the new, the new of the Pharisees is a boundary-making new. is a new of regulations that says you have to be religious or spiritual enough to be a part of our group. It's about rules and regulations that keep some people out and others in. And Jesus looks at that in comparison and he says, no, 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 no. It's new. That is new. That is not the way that it is designed to work. And no one who has ever tasted the old 
wants the new stuff. Ever. Ever. Two weekends ago, our lead team had the chance to go up to a cabin and get away for a couple days and dream a little bit, talk a little bit about the life of the church. We ask this question. It's a question I want to pose to you here. As you sit here and you're a part of the life of the church in one way, shape, or form, even if you're just here one time, welcome one time. If you're here as a regular member, welcome as a regular member. Here's a question I posed. We got a chance to talk about, and that is this. I want to put to you, what is the story that you want to be able to tell? What is the story that you want to be able to tell about your involvement in the life of Grace Point Church? The life of church here in general. Like, what is the story you want to tell? In other words, whenever you are done with Grace Point, if that's after I'm done talking here, or on your deathbed, or somewhere between now and then, whenever you're done, and all of us will be done at some point, what is the story that you want to be able to tell? Here's, here's a couple of stories I know you don't want to tell. Here are stories that are not life-changing stories. I was a part of a church that always had a balanced budget. It's not a game-changer. I was a part of a church where I was consistent in attendance every week. Who cares? Me, I care. It's not a game-changer. I was a part of a church that sang the right way. I was a part of a church where Things were generally short enough that it didn't get into my lunchtime too long. Or I, I was a part of a church. I was a part of a church that encouraged me and drove me and I helped, I helped, I contributed, I participated in the life of a church that always pointed people back to Jesus. I was a part of that. I was a part of things that we did, like the day of caring, or helping with a refugee family, or going to the Dominican, or going to Maine, or going to Africa, or going to Asia. I was a part of that. I was a part of a blast or VBS, not just because I needed to volunteer, but because I had a chance to teach the next generation. I had the chance to care for and touch people's lives through our ministry opportunities. I came to our services because we had teaching and we had worship that mixed my heart and mind together and drew me into the cross and reminded me that the old is better, that the new ways of regulation is not good. Like, I was a part of that. And that was a life changer. I was a part of a church that figured out a way to be a transforming presence in the town square and in my town square, where I worked, who I connected with, who my classmates were, who my co-employees were, I was a part of that. And I contributed. I contributed to being a place where people could come and their story mattered. Their life mattered. Their interests mattered. Their pain mattered. And that mattered because we could weave that into and help them understand the truth of God's word, moving them into and out of the struggles that they have to see Jesus. Because I guarantee you, the story you don't want to tell and the story that will not hold you and will not anchor your soul is that we were just religious people. That we were just consistent and faithful. The stories that will anchor you are always going to be the stories that bring you back to Jesus. You don't come here because your family does, right? That's not enough. 
We come here so that we can have our hearts turned back to the hope of Jesus Christ. And I will tell you, and you know this, there's nothing else that heals like Jesus. Like in your most pressing down of times, you will not look back and say, you know what, I went to church enough, now God has got to touch me. It's not going to work. It doesn't hold. What is the story that you, 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 you individually, ultimately want to be able to tell about your involvement in the body of Christ here, attempting to weave together the spiritual, the social, and the cultural good for people in this community and beyond. Because Jesus came that we may have life and have it more abundantly. And I will tell you, that vision of living in this space in the middle is what drives me. It's what drives everything that I want to do and want to see happen here among us. And I hope that it draws your heart in, in increasing measure, to continue to see what the church looks like as it drinks the old wine that is better of Jesus, who came to teach and to heal and to do both as well as we can. That's the journey that we are on. And I would love you to continue to be a part. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come around to your word again this morning and to settle in on some of these teachings. The old way, the old interest of the gospel and also of our Creator God in weaving through the Old Testament and into the new, this regular rhythm of teaching our hearts things that we need to know are true, but also coming alongside of us and caring well and loving and serving us. So Father, help us to express that, work that out, to be able to tell the stories ultimately in our own lives that we were a part of a church like that that we contributed in that way. We participated in that way. We were involved, and it shaped and changed our families, and it changed our hearts. It moved us to see Jesus again on a regular, regular, regular basis. We were not just religious people who were consistent. We didn't just have a balanced budget, but we were brought back to the cross of Jesus Christ and helped people lovingly, lovingly, lovingly get there where the ground is even. So give us courage, I pray, Father, to keep pursuing what Jesus has modeled here for us, to weave these things together in great measure, and give us wisdom to know how to do that in our workplaces, in our school, with our friends, and with those in our family that we interact with. We ask for your blessing and for your wisdom and your courage. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.